You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the Enormo Cast, so go ahead and check out the new spring goods at BlackDiamondEquipment.com or better yet, your local shop. New headlamps, new lightweight outerwear like the Gore-Tex Liquid Point Shell and the Alpine Start Hoodie, which incidentally I recently dropped in the black. If anybody found it, enjoy my perma-stink of fear. I've also really started to dig the Alpen Glow Sun Hoodie, a breathable wicking hoodie to hide from the brutal burning orb. Who knew that standing around with your shirt off or roasting under Sauron's eye wasn't the best way to stay cool? It's all there at BlackDiamondEquipment.com or your local shop. Support the Enormacast by checking out Black Diamond's new spring line. Look, folks, hear me now, listen to me later, believe me a couple weeks from now. If you're still belaying your friends with your head tipped back, your mouth open like some three-chin bucktooth gaper, then you're totally blowing it. If you're halfway through your road trip and rubbing your neck in pain every night, then you're totally blowing it. If you're staring at the ground while your best friend is up there squealing and grunting in fear like a trapped weasel, then you're totally blowing it. Stop blowing it and become a better happier and safer belayer by going to blazebex.com and entering enormacast at checkout we gotta get listen uh, uh where are you playing in town are you playing here we're doing the uh enormo dome whatever it is it's terrific oh it's yeah big place that's that's a big nice. place you sold it out i'll say you really should the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather. Bad weather. No later. Anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is about 9.30 here in Colorado, May 4th. And this is episode 128 of the Enormacast, a live podcast from the Devil's Lake Craig and Classic back in October of last year. But by the time I got home and edited this one, it was the dead of winter. And I decided I'd wait till Devil's Lake climbing season was rolling again before I would put it out. And sure enough, it's springtime up there. So that mecca, that storied crag, dead center of Wisconsin, is starting to rev up. So hopefully this will get people psyched. And if you're not from around there, maybe it'll pique your interest in this out-of-the-way crag with so much history. The only thing I want to do today before we get to that is say a bunch of thank yous. First of all, thanks to Nick Wilkes for having me up there. The American Alpine Club got me up there. The Crag and Classics are their baby. And if you want to know more about those, you can go to AmericanAlpineClub.org, check out all the Craig and Classics. I believe the Devil's Lake one is already slated again for October 13th through the 15th. 
but they've got them going on all around the country. So check those out. Nick's also the owner of Devil's Lake Climbing Guides. So if you're busting up there from the gyms of Chicago or you're a sport climber heading up to this supremely trad crag, consider getting in touch with Devil's Lake Climbing Guides. Get some anchor work under your belt before you get into too much trouble up there. Check them out at devilsleakeclimbingguides.com. As long as we're thanking the American Alpine Club, we better thank Camp USA because they're sort of the big sponsor behind the Craig and Classics. And the Craig and Classics are kind of low-key festivals, not a lot of commercialism, just the right mix of community and advocacy. Finally, I want to thank my guests. It's a little bit different program to get up in front of a crowd and do one of these things live than sitting down in a private space. It takes a lot more out of you. So I appreciate these folks putting themselves out there for me. First of all, Jay Noer, who's written the newer Devil's Lake guidebook, Devil's Lake a Climbing Guide. And I want to give a little love to climbing guide authors in general. It's a labor of love. It's not some sort of million-dollar endeavor, like a bestseller or anything else. And I know the internet has a lot of information. Mountain Project is super useful. But there's nothing like owning that guidebook, having it on your shelf. Ironically, it's even better when you're at home. You're leafing through it, looking to be inspired. Jay did a great job detailing some of the massive history of this climbing area. So yeah, guidebooks. Kick down the money. I know they're expensive. Get one for yourself. Don't just use your buddies. Because you're going to want to take your notes, you're going to tick your roots, because years from now, when you're in your twilight, like I am, you're going to want to look back and remember those heady days when you were young, strong, and virile. It'll all be spilled right there on the pages of your guidebook. My second guest, James Schrader, is a guide for Devil's Lake Climbing Guides and has been climbing up the lake a really long time, an advocate for the area, an advocate for upper Midwest climbing, Wisconsin climbing in general. Appreciate him coming up. If you do need to brush up on your anchors or your trad climbing, look him up at Devil's Lake Climbing Guides. And finally, Katie Schultz, perhaps the most reluctant one to get up in front of a big group of people, but she did it anyway, and I appreciate that. Katie's a manager down at Boulder's Climbing Gym in Madison, Wisconsin, sort of a focal point of the local climbing scene. So thanks again to everybody on the show. So I'll just set the scene and let's get to it. It was a rainy weekend. I actually didn't do very much climbing. There was no climbing to be had on Saturday. It rained and rained and rained. But you know what? People were still stoked under the tent at the festival. I think those hardy Midwesterners are a little more used to inclement climbing weather than us semi-desert Western guys. So that afternoon, I had not been climbing. I had been drinking giant Bloody Marys at a local establishment called The Barn. And this is where we pick up the Devil's Lake Kragen Classic. La Sportiva is celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Mira, the greatest climbing shoe ever made, by messing with it. Careful, Sportiva. Careful. But using input from Adam Andra, they've come up with the Mira 20. The Mira 20 is the same precise toe of the Mira with a more supportive and aggressive heel for a shoe so precise that Adam Andra once carved a Christmas turkey with only a pair of Mira 20s and a dull ice pick. One of these days, Adam Andra is going to ask me to stop using his name in these ads. But until that happens, Adam Andra. Mira 20s are available only this year in a limited edition and only at retailers. But you can go to Sportiva.com for more information on the shoe and to find out where you can get a pair. And don't worry, the good old-fashioned mirrors are still around too.
You guys know this guy, Chris Calouse from Enormacast? Anybody here for that? Cool. Uh, we're super psyched to have Chris here, and he's going to be uh, sort of doing a panel discussion with Jay Noer. No, Noer. Yeah. Uh, and you guys know Jay because he just wrote your awesome fucking guidebook for the year. Yeah. Um, or for the next century, probably. Um, and this is James Schroeder, uh, who is a super local and is, if you turn the pages in that guidebook, you see like every third page, basically. So this is James. He's been awesome for the Kraken Classics. This is Katie Schultz and Oliver. Um, and, and they're going to be doing a panel discussion with Chris. So I'm going to let it, these guys uh, take it over. Thanks for coming out, dude. Appreciate it. So we need that other mic up here. Do you guys have it? Okay. Where is the second? Did I take it? All right. I did leave it there. There's an on button on there, too. Okay, remember what I told you guys. It's on. Nice and close. I actually, I actually touch it. Like this? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe go back off a little bit on that. Um, have you guys heard the normal cast? Anybody out there? All right. All right. See? I'll tell you, I'm a Colorado-based uh, podcaster. I have a podcast called The Enormal Cast, and uh, I, it's, it, I realize that many of you listen to it probably realize it's, it's somewhat regional um, because uh, I, I insist on face-to-face -face interviews. I don't do any Skype interviews. I don't do over-the-phone interviews. It's all face-to-face, -face. and that, you know, as a working man, um, who I, it's not my living it becomes, sometimes it becomes a problem and I'm grabbing people from literally like off the street who are passing through or who are at a climbing area. So when, uh, when I was invited to this very graciously, I, uh, I jumped at the chance. It worked out with my schedule because, um, I wanted to get here in the Midwest because some of you may know that I actually have roots here in the Midwest, upper Midwest, excuse me. I was, uh, I raised, I was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay, so there's some cred there. I moved uh, to Cincinnati. Eh. Um, all right. Angie Payne, yeah. Repping. Um, and then I moved to Libertyville, Illinois, which is just south of the border there. Yes, I became a fib. Do they still use that? Okay. <laughs> no one's clapping for that, Jason. All right. Uh, so I had some roots here, but I did not start climbing until after I left. However, I came up to Devil's Lake on a few occasions after I learned how to climb, and I found a place that, uh, that was confounding because at that time they had F grades. Does any people remember the F grades? Okay. Some of the old fellas are like, yeah. So man had to be a man back then. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a second with Jay. But, uh, but yeah, I was like uh, a Colorado climber. Like, I'm, I'm totally the shit. I come from the promised land. You've, you've Colorado's mountains. And uh, the place is humbling. Am I right? Yeah, it's a humbling climbing area. And if, you, if you, you're one of those folks who's like, this is your main place and you haven't climbed a lot of other places, yeah, it's humbling. It, it, you may not know that. You may just think Devil's Lake is climbing. But uh, it's definitely a place that can put you in, in, in your place so to speak. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get started with this panel, and I'm going to introduce these guys in just a second. But I want to also preview this by, by, by saying that I've been sitting at the barn. I've been sitting at the barn for about uh, five hours, actually. 
Um, cause you know what's been going on today. It's been raining. Um, every once in a while, the, the crew of climbers at the bar would like get up and talk about climbing, uh, Gil's nose. And like, you know, there would actually be movement towards the door. And then they'd look out the window and there'd be movement back to the bar and another would come around and then boom, up they'd get and they'd be like, an hour later, they'd be like, all right, we're going. You guys coming? And then there'd be another round. So. That's how the day went for us. I don't know about you guys were doing. Hopefully you were out trying to climb. I don't know. During that time, I, I actually had a very interesting uh, education on the, on the, the um, I'm going to try to get this right, the DLFA. Yes, the underground. So I don't know if we're going to be able to get into that here. but uh, Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce my uh, panel to you guys. And, and I think you guys know these folks better than I do actually. Um, on my right, right here is Jay Noer, who just uh, put together the guidebook for this place and has been signing them off. Noon. James Schrader, who's a guide here in Devil's Lake and also a true local. Am I right? I guess, yeah. Yeah. And Katie Schultz, who lives down in Madison and uh, manages the climbing gym down there and is one of the, uh, the sort of people keeping the bouldering uh, flame alive here in Devil's Lake. Okay, folks, so let's go ahead and start. Let's go back to that, uh, that F grade thing, Jay. So how many guidebooks has it been between now and uh, when, when you, that guidebook that had the F grades in it, and could you explain what those were, and then uh, the guidebook that you just wrote? So I, I don't really know what those F grades were. I heard NCCS. What does that stand for? National Climbing Classification System. Um, so we're familiar with the number five grades, 510, 511, 512. Three or four guidebooks ago, back in the 70s, they had the F system. So it was a, it was a closed system. I really geek out on this stuff. So free climbing. F stood for free climbing. So, so the point of this is that it was a closed system, meaning went from F1 to F10. So everybody out at the lake was climbing, and then they were climbing F9s, they were doing F10s, and then they were doing F10As, F10Bs, F10Cs. And um, sort of the highlight of that old guidebook from the 70s was that Bagatelle. Does anyone know Bagatelle, the route? Yeah. The classic, classic hard route at Devil's Lake. It was rated F10C. Does anyone know what it's rated today? 512C. So it was a 512 rated F10. So I think that was the hardest 10 in the world at the time. We were talking about old guidebooks of Devil's Lake, and Errol Morris wrote the first major guidebook for Devil's Lake. It was um, just a bunch of pages stapled together with some hand drawings and... As far as I know, the first descriptions of routes that were widely distributed at Devil's Lake. So does anybody know, I mean, we've already done this, but does anybody know um, who Errol Morris is? Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so Errol Morris uh, did a documentary uh, 10 years ago or so about Robert McNamara called The Fog of War. And this is a documentary that won uh, Best Picture. So he got his creative start 
by writing a hand-drawn topo of Devil's Lake. Um, so there's this fine literary tradition of guidebooks at Devil's Lake. You hope. <laughs> okay, so apparently he also had the first lead of Peter's project right side. According to Leo. Is Leo here? So, so Leo wrote the extremist guide to Devil's Lake. Extremist guide to Devil's Lake. So th this was a small pamphlet, and a lot of the guides were very conservative. Leo kind of blew that out of the water. This was the DLFA-inspired in guidebook. So there's a really classic 5.7 called, called Peter's Project. If you climbed at Devil's Lake, you've probably climbed Peter's Project. It's, it's excellent. How many have climbed Peter's Project here? Well, in like the ultimate dick move in writing the guidebook, uh, Leo called Peter's Project the official access gully of the De Devil's Lake Faulkness Association, which we'll talk about. All right, so let, let me get to that. So you're writing this guidebook uh, to a climbing area which to me, as someone who's, who's sort of looking from the outside in, it seems like there's a variation and a rule and, uh, you know, go left, but don't use this hold and go right to every single route or a lot of the routes here. So, you know, looking at your guidebook, I just glanced at it for the first time a few minutes ago. And uh, how do you quantify all that? How do you find out that information and, and uh, get it all sorted out in a place where it seems like, you know, there's this, all this lore about who, like, moved left here and moved right here and went straight here and did the, the first start and, and all those sorts of things. Yeah, so I was sort of concerned about that. When I decided to write this, I talked to my editor, Jeff Aki, and I said, Jeff, I'm, I'm sort of worried that this is just going to be Devil's Lake according to Jay. <laughs> and Jeff, you know, being great, said, yeah, it will be, so get used to that. And Jeff doesn't know me that well, and that was like giving me carte blanche to do whatever I wanted. So um, one of the benefits of writing this guide is if, you know, if the route was too much of a variation, I didn't have to put it in. Uh, and I could change the grades, which was really the best part about writing this guidebook. So you're out there just changing grades ar arbitrarily? Totally willy-nilly. Totally willy-nilly. If I had a hard day, then uh, like a lot of the routes got harder. So you have to find out where I really sucked when I was climbing, and those are the best, best routes for you to climb. Yeah, that's like sacrilege in some I mean, you're, there's, there's places where you change grades on routes that will hunt you down. Like the first ascensionist will hunt, hunt you down. Well, I live in New Hampshire, so. Brilliant. Tell people. Yeah, Acid Rock is the, uh, everybody's first 12A. And I figured if I changed that to 11D, I'd be like run out of town. So anything else that, like, like as you write in this guidebook, you're digging through history, you're talking to people, I hope, who are yelling out old lore from the crowd here. Um, yeah, I was there in 1962 when this happened. Um, it didn't go like that. It went like this. I mean, what was, like, sort of surprising that bubbled to the surface for you when you were digging around in all this lore? Because I'll tell you what, you know, I can, like, bray on about Colorado and us Western people and there's Yosemite, California and all those sorts of things. But these, these places like, like Devil's Lake, I don't know, maybe it's because everybody, you know, gathers around it so intensely, but the lore that comes out of places like Devil Lake, like blows away 
lore from from places, even like El Dorado Canyon or any of these other other famous climbing areas. It's like you just squeeze so much out of what is here. It's amazing. So what did you find in your in your studies? I mean, I've always always known that Devil's Lake is a really special place. But um, and when I decided to write the guidebook, I thought, oh, this would be great. I'll write about a place I know pretty well, and it'll it'll go quickly. And I mean, it turned out I had a lot to learn. Uh, and some of the great things I learned was that um, I mean, Devil's Lake was really at the forefront of climbing back in the fifties, sixties, seventies, and I kind of knew that. But when I sort of talked to some of the first ascensionists and was able to really glean some information, I just realized that even the first ascensionists didn't know that they were on the cutting edge back then. So at the areas like um, Yosemite and the Gunks and Eldo, I think it got a lot of press. But, um, for example, Pete Cleveland's uh, 1968 ascent of Son of Great Chimney, which is 11C. How many of you have climbed Son of Great Chimney? Yeah. Uh, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. 511C, probably PG-13. I mean, we can protect it pretty well these days. But when Pete found it, he um, just walked up to it, thought, I don't know, I don't know what he thought. He thought, wow, that's a cool line, and just started climbing, placing pitons for pro, and he on-sighted it. Hardest route in the, one of the hardest routes in the country at that time, he just fired it. And there, it, there wasn't hot flashes in climbing, although that's maybe dating myself a little bit. Um, there wasn't Twitter. Or Inst- he didn't tweet at the top. Um, there, yeah, yeah, were there cars then? <laughs> so it wasn't even known to him. And these were just people I kind of, I grew up in Baraboo, and these were just people I knew in the community just as people, not as climbing legends. So that was great to, to learn. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jay. Do you, you want to tell us anything else about this guidebook besides to, to go out and pick up a copy? Yeah, so how long do we have? <laughs> uh, no, this was definitely a labor of love. I grew up in Baraboo, and um, like I said, I live in New Hampshire, so this gave me a, an excuse to go back to Baraboo and really, um, really try. My, my goal was to try to reflect not only the roots, but also the culture and the community of Devil's Lake. And, uh, yeah, you should check it out. There's some really amazing photos from some great photographers. Uh, Yeah, so I hope you check it out. Thanks. And and, uh, before I move down the line here, although Jay's Jay's welcome to uh, pipe in, um, I have to, and this is going to be, you know, mean nothing to you guys, so bear with me, but I want it on the record, if I put this out as a podcast, that I apologize to Jay's wife, because Jay, when I, I didn't think I knew Jay, uh, we met a few minutes ago, I thought, but it turns out I had a little dust up on Mountain Project with uh, Jay's wife, and uh, I'm not going to get into any details, you guys can go and look up, uh, I think it's all still there, it's all still there, it's a route called the Avenger in, uh, in uh, Independence Pass, Colorado, um, just look there, I'm going to pre-be embarrassed for my, uh, my harsh stance. Um, and I want her to hear this. Hopefully he'll, he'll direct her to this. I do apologize. Um, I was probably drinking a lot during that. You know how the internet is late at night? And uh, I used to be that guy occasionally. <laughs> Sometimes when, when I get my hackles up. Anyway, so I apologize uh, 
And you guys go look at that, and uh, there you go. I profusely. Yeah, Chris, I just want to say thank you on on behalf of me. Um, so I, I'm going to get a lot of points from Kate on this, getting you to apologize. So I just want to thank you for your apology. Glad I could help, and Kate, I do apologize. Carry on. Um, don't get on internet forums, everybody, <laughs> especially late at night if you've been drinking. All right, so let's move, move to our next guest a little bit. Uh, James Schrader, again, a, a Devil's Lake guide and also a, a pure local. I guess. I mean, I live in the county now. You live? Where did you grow up? I grew up on the eastern side of the state in a little town called Nina. Nina. Wow. I'm impressed. A lot of rockets out there, huh? Seriously? Ride? Woo! Where, where, can, you give us a, can you give someone who, who's a little less familiar uh, a, a geographic sort of focus sure if you grew up in green bay yes which is at the bottom of the like thumb crotch yeah you go 45 minutes south you're in nina okay cool because i know of a place called lena that's north of green bay wow we got one from lena and we're going <laughs> deep tonight My grandpa lived there really all right so you're and also you're now a guide here in devil's lake yeah i've been off and on for a, a while now okay. i don't want to tell how long because it's would make me seem old. So my question to you is, is Devil's Lake is sort of famous, I guess, outside of Wisconsin for being a place where, like, top roping has always been a, a fully legitimate way to do a climb. Elsewhere, I mean, it, when I was coming again from, from Colorado and I was, like, new and into climbing, like, you had to lead stuff. It didn't matter how scary it was. And obviously I got here and I was like, I don't think so. One other thing I'll say about Devil's Lake that, that's a little bit different than in the West um, is this is very close to some huge urban areas. You guys have a huge impact from a lot of people, like 9 million, 10 million, 11 million people in Chicago, you got Milwaukee, you got Madison. So as you have been a guide and you're out there guiding, and I was a guide as well, as some people know, as you've walked the top of, of, of the cliff, sort of poking around at what other people are doing, like what's the sketchiest shit you've ever seen? Oh, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Jay's answer here and say, how long do we have? I mean, it's terrifying up there some days. Like, people with horrifying anchors, single points off, like, a loose block, and they're tied off, and you can, like, walk up to the block, and you can just yard it back and forth, and that's all they've got. I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. When you're, like, in this intermediate climbing area, you're really dangerous. You're also really not very receptive to other people's suggestions or criticisms, I kind of feel like this is a, 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 a little bit of a man thing and that, like, you get your hackles up when some other dude comes up and is like, hey, man, like, you should check out, and you're just like, no. So how, what's your approach when you find something that maybe, you know, death is not imminent? Because obviously if death is in, imminent, you're like, stop, everybody stop. But when it's, like, just pretty sketchy where you're like i don't know if i want to watch this happen all day what what do you what do you got in your in your bag of tricks to be a nice uh diplomat well the first thing i do is give them a business card the second thing i do is try and like point out some things that you know are maybe i try and frame it as a third person thing where it's like hey just so you know if you were doing this kind of course with like the amga or something you would totally fail right now and so let me show you a better way that would be more up to that standard. And that's it? Is, is everyone receptive to that? No. 
So do you think my, my slightly sexist comment holds weight or, or am I off base when I, when I, I feel like the gentlemen are, are a little less receptive? I've never really encountered the uh, situation outside of that, but I can say that I've had some pretty negative responses in my day. Can you, can you elaborate at all? Well, I Have mean, they gone to fisticuffs? So it's never gone to fisticuffs because I'm usually like, dude, it's your life. Like, go ahead. I just don't want to have to pick you up later. All right. So one other question I want to ask you as a guide along those lines. Have you ever packed up and left the area because you don't want to be part of the eventual rescue? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, you can like confront people and tell them that they're in imminent danger. And if they don't listen to you, like you're left with no other option but to leave. Right. Because it's like, I don't want to be holding C-spine, you know, two hours from now while someone runs to get, you know, to, to meet the rescuers down on the road. First-hand experience that cramps up a lot after a while. <laughs> what? You cramp up a lot after a while holding, holding C-spine for a oh, couple man. hours. It's oh, miserable. Man. What so in a serious note, what what's what sort of like uh what is the kind of record up here? Are, is, is it I mean, do you guys have a lot of rescues over the summer? Or over I'd the climbing season? I'd say it's pretty rare. You know, we get a lot of self reporting as climbing by people who are clearly not what the majority of people listening to the show would call climbers. Um generally speaking, actual climbing accidents as we would all agree to be climbing accidents are pretty rare. It happens from time to time, but not very often. So let, let me move on to, uh, I forgot to ask you about this. You mentioned uh, the DLFA. Um, uh, James was over at the barn. Yeah. Late, late on in the session. And uh, mentioned being like at the end of this, this historic moment maybe in, in, uh, in Devil's Lake Climbing. Does, is anybody, is this DLFA thing like something people know about? The Devil's Lake, the Devil's Lake Fuckness Association? Yeah, I think they made a movie a couple years ago. Okay, okay, so I'm I'm late to the game on this whole thing, um, but let me tell, let me ask you your impression of that because you sort of mentioned to me that maybe you were at like a little young to be kind of brought into the fold, and maybe these guys have gone a little bit underground by now. Yeah, you know when I started it, and I was corrupted by Jay early on, but like um, we kind of. <laughs> We kind of looked up to those guys for some reason and, and like not the climbing side because it's obvious they were really strong climbers. But when you're like 18 years old and you see these guys that are just partying hardy and then they go out and crush the next day, how can you not want to be a part of that? And it was kind of on the way out, but the legend and the stories were still all there when I started. Yeah. So the DLFA, I mean, I think this deserves kind of more talking about. Uh, so the DLFA was a group that sort of formed together in the 70s and they prided themselves on ingesting prodigious amounts of mind-altering substances and climbing. Uh, so the root names are predictable, uh, <laughs> which you can read in the book if you choose. Um, and these guys really pushed the boat out on lead. And I, I think you ne they needed those substances to push the boat out on lead, if you know what I mean. That there's some really run-out climbs they did. They did some really amazing things. Uh, and then they kind of moved on. Maybe they quit climbing. Maybe they had a family. I've been referring to them as the Devil's Lake Family Association because a lot of them have minivans and kids. And uh, But th there was this movement. 
Yeah, there was this movement in the 90s to um, sort of rekindle the DLFA, and now they're a second-generation DLFA. And, um, yeah, I'll let James take it up from there. So I kind of came into it late. Jay had been here growing up in Baraboo and started climbing like 95 and got to see that whole thing. And I came in in about 98 from Nina, and so I was kind of on the side of it all. And, like, I got to hear the legends and, and all these stories, and it was like, whoa, those guys are nuts. Not only are they nuts on lead, but they're talking about, like, drinking to puke and puking to bleed. And, like, I don't even understand it. I'm only 18 years old. I'm going to die if I try to hang out with these guys. Did, did you guys hear that motto? What is drinking to puke, puking to bleed? Yeah, something okay. like that. No climbing in there, notice. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were taking inspiration from these guys, like how much of it was lifestyle and how much of it was like climbing? There's no way I could keep up with that lifestyle or the climbing, but like it was one of those things where you looked up and you're like, man, these guys seem to be having a good time and I don't know if I can hang, but wow, they're kind of role models, which was crazy now in retrospect. But like at the time when you're 17, 18 years old, like that's amazing to watch. Everything that is, is sort of storied about this place in, in terms of the, the DLFA's history, in terms of what we've been talking about, the guidebook has nothing to do with the bouldering, right? And, or does it? DLFA. Yeah, I think it does. So let's move on to our next guest for a moment, and then uh, we'll, you know, we can kind of open it up to the to the whole thing. Um, our next guest, Katie Schultz, is uh, your manager at the gym in Madison. Yeah, I've worked at the gym since two thousand seven. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you get up on your point it out there. Exactly. Get on that mic, Katie. So. Let's talk a little bit about that. What do you know about sort of the history of bouldering here in Devil's Lake and kind of how you fit into that? Bouldering here does have a really long history. It's really interesting. Um, looking back, looking at all, like, the different generations that have come through the lake is really fascinating. Um, one of the first generations, I have their guidebook get on it. And it's really neat to look at all the eliminates in there because everyone thought the lake was climbed out in all the different areas. Um, and you know they had a bunch of areas they wouldn't tell anyone about back then, too. Um, so there was early bouldering with Eric Zishi. Um, there's kind of a lull for a while. And then a lot of the WCA guys kind of started bouldering <laughs> um, at the lake. And there was a lot more development then. And now there's kind of another resurgence and there's a ton of people out climbing now. So as, as like a climber up and coming or as a whatever it took, what, what is it that drew you up here to the bouldering versus uh, this rope climbing that, that was going on? What, what sort of brought you out into the woods away from the main cliffs to find the bouldering personally? I've never been a rope climber. Um, as soon as I put a harness on, I have a meltdown. I can't climb on a rope. So I boulder, um, and that's all I ever done really so uh, and where did you grow up i went to college here never climbed moved to massachusetts didn't really climb and then moved back here and uh -huh. started climbing yeah so again w let me get a little bit of a personal story since you're the the boulderer on the thing so what you know again like what was it about bouldering in particular besides the, the fear i guess although i'll tell you what this you know, when people talk about bouldering here, they talk about talus, 
right? They talk about uh, the discussion at the at the bar today was about how bouldering kind of was a little bit stagnant because there weren't enough pads. Like one guy in town had a pad, and so and that was not enough pad to do a lot of the things that they saw. So you know what what what's again like what was it that uh, when you came up here you said this is my thing. This is like where I'm going. Even though personally I find bouldering, especially above Talus, like ultimately far more terrifying than being on a rope. So where, where do you sort of square that? I don't like climbing a rope, but I can handle this sort of thing. My rope fear is not rational. Like I realize I'm a lot safer tied in probably. Um, the first time I came to the lake, we went up to Jenga with a pad and didn't really know where it was. That's at the top of the West Bluff. I don't know if people know where it is. Um, but it's a really crappy hike, having never walked in Talos before. Um, and I was never going to climb at the lake again. I hated it. I'm like, this is terrifying. We're all going to get hurt. The ambulance is never going to get to us. And I didn't come back for the next year. And the following year, we came back. And I love it. Um, I love the approaches. I love hiking up the Talos. I would don't think it would be the same experience without it. Would you characterize those kind of things as part of what's special about Devil's Lake? Um, and, and what else do you think draws you to this place uh, versus somewhere else? I think that's definitely part of the lake. Um, hiking through the talus, spending a full day just going to two areas and trying two problems. I like that it's really hard climbing here. Like, I've climbed here for seven years, and I'm still really, really bad at climbing at the lake. Um, I have so far to go. There's like so many just technique and intricate little things you can learn about climbing here. So I think I like that about it. It's really hard to be a good climber here. So that's a good, uh, good line of questioning. What do you think is your thing, James, about climbing at Devil's Lake? Well, there's a lot. It's pretty magical, but it's uh, a place that definitely makes you a more efficient climber, you have to have a good footwork to climb here. You have to have kind of, if you're going to lead or like, you have to have a lead head. You got to learn how to put gear in for real because the ground is always close and the gear is not very good to steal a line from Nick Rhodes. Like it's hard to lead here and it's hard to perform well here. And you often find that whether it's a combination of sandbag or the stone itself, like this place teaches you how to be a good climber and go elsewhere and hopefully not get your ass kicked. What's your experience with that uh, as a traveling climber? Do you think it works? Not at all. I've cl- <laughs> Jay will vouch for that. He's seen me get trashed in about half the country. Yeah, we've been on a lot of climbing trips that we won't talk about, actually. Yeah, um, Utah's horrible for us. <laughs> so uh, I think it's the rock. I mean, the rock is so slick. I... I- climb a lot back east and I climbed at the gunks and somebody said, well, the gunks is quartzite. It's going to be, you're going to find it so slick at the gunks. And I went there and I was like, this is crazy. This isn't quartzite. I can smear wherever I want. There are pebbles and all of that. But at Devil's Lake, it's pure quartzite. I mean, you know, how many of you have like slipped off a foothold at Devil's Lake? The whole crowd raises its hand. If the rock forces you to be so precise, uh, it doesn't tolerate imprecise footwork. It just doesn't. You'll slip off. Uh, there are edges that were, are as sharp today as they were in the 50s, I'm sure. 
The rock doesn't wear down. It doesn't polish. I mean, it doesn't polish because it's kind of already polished. I mean, it was polished by God or geology or whatever. Uh, the other thing with the rock at, at, at Devil's Lake is um, it's so bomber. I climbed at Devil's Lake for probably five years before I went anywhere else. I didn't know loose rock was a thing. The rock is just bomber. And even the out-of-the-way areas where you climb, they're not out of the way because the rock is bad. They're not not climb because the rock is bad. The rock is good everywhere you go. Um, some of the out-of-the-way areas just people don't climb at because maybe it's a little farther of a, an approach or maybe it's a bit short. But the rock is just always perfect. It takes perfect gear. Um, cams are generally good, although there have been rumors of cams sliding under body weight. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to learn. Let's, grow, let's go out to a bigger question, um, this idea of the climbing scene in general, okay? Um, you know, I, I always go back to this idea. You know, I joke around about, you know, having come here to give you wisdom from the promised land, a.k.a. Colorado, like, yes, where the climbs are big and blah, 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 blah. But the, the truth is, and I, and I believe I've said this on the podcast before, is that when you've got these, these condensed areas and they're a little bit of an island, but my experience is that these, these communities become even more aggro, more fervent, more intense about their climbing. And all those variations I talked about, it's about that. It's like, well, let's take this cliff, let's take this canvas, and let's get something else out of it. Let, let's get the panel's ideas about what it is about this climbing community that's kept you here or brought you back or made you want to climb to write the guidebook while you know the yosemite snobs do their thing the colorado snobs do their thing and and that like snobbery has been a part of the history of this place as well you know they were fighting it was like the gunks and 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 boulder and yosemite about who is the most rad and meanwhile here in devil's lake pete cleveland was already climbing harder than those guys so yeah, I mean, I think Devil's Lake has its own community. But uh, one thing I noticed, especially growing up here, is that, I mean, it, it's some, itinerant's not the right word, but uh, a lot of really good climbers climb here and then do move out west. And that, that's kind of a, like a flight out of the Midwest, you know, toward the mountains. Or maybe hit Devil's Lake on their way through. Uh, I moved east. I went the wrong direction, maybe. I don't know. But I've noticed in the last few years, there really has been kind of a coming together of the community. Events like this bring the community together a lot. And this realization that we do have a lifetime of rock in the bluffs there. The older guidebook lists 1,600 climbs in Devil's Lake. It's, uh, it is a lifetime of rock. It's all pretty similar, but you do have some sport climbing possibilities at some of these satellite crags. So... It's, it's been great to see the community really grow and really also embrace its history. So I think for me, like, it's, a, it's very cliche to say this, but it's a lot about the Midwest, you know? Like, we have that community spirit in general here, and then the climbing community has that spirit in general itself. And so you put those two things together, and you get a really warm environment. Everybody gets along. Everybody has a good time. There's different people doing different things, but, like, for the most part, we all band together, and, and it's... You know, the bouldering crew is cool, and the trad crew is cool, and the top rope crew is cool, and everybody's hanging out together. And, like, for the most part, we just get along. I think one of the things that's kind of neat about the climbers that are drawn to the lake are um, 
it doesn't seem to draw a lot of ego. I think maybe because it is so hard climbing here. People aren't going to come here and send super hard problems probably and just come here for that. So it's kind of neat. It seems to attract people who want to climb better and really enjoy the experience of climbing here. Um, everyone's really supportive at the gym especially. I think you see everyone kind of being friendly to each other. No one's really trying to outdo anyone else. It's not a bunch of people screaming and running around shirtless. <laughs> screaming and shirtless? Is that what you just said? Not so much of that. <laughs> What's wrong with that? We're, we're a good-looking bunch of people. You know? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you guys live in Wisconsin. You know, you're fit. Right, seriously, like, can, can pat yourselves on the back. I was just joking today at the barn that, like, we were sitting there for five hours because it was raining outside, but plenty of people sit there when it's sunny outside, too. So I actually wanted to ask that question, and uh, we're, we're getting to the end here, but I want to ask that question of what it's like to be this climber person, whether you're a boulder or whether you're you're rope climber, but what it's like to be that climber in a place where people don't necessarily understand what climbing is. And I realized that, again, these years that I did come up here, and it's been a while, but when I did come up here climbing, I had come from Colorado where your average person understands what mountain climbing is because the mountains are right there. They're skiers. They understand this idea of just going to the top of something for no particular reason. But when I would come back to Illinois or I'd come back to, 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 to Wisconsin, it wasn't exactly in the mindset of like, you want to do what to what? You want to climb this thing? Why don't you just hike to the top? Like there's a trail. I mean, doesn't the East Bluff, it's got a trail. Just go on the trail. What's, what's your problem? So is it, do you, what's it been like? I mean, is, is Baraboo a place where they understand what you guys are out there doing? Or do you feel like this little tiny subculture that's going on here, kind of hiding out in the shadows? Well, I, I, I think Baraboo is the new boulder. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> the real estate prices just went up. <laughs> don't do that. Do not do that. Like, like Whole Foods is on the line. Yeah, I mean, what, what Chris is saying, I think that, I mean, I, the community attitude is changing. It's, it's maybe changing a little slowly compared to other areas, but I, I do think it's changing as climbers are going into the community, buying coffee, going to the barn and having weird straws and, um, and, and talking about climbing. It's becoming less of a fringe activity, I think, in the Midwest, but it, I mean, it is less understood than, than, say, New Hampshire. You know, I spend a lot of time, like, locally, I work here in town, and I can say that it's not as accepted, obviously, because people just don't understand it, and they're, they are confused. Like, why would you go climb to the top when you could walk around? But you talk to them about going and doing bigger objectives, and you say, like, you know, when I go out, I'm, I'm training always in my mindset to go do something else somewhere else. And they, they understand that when you say, like, I'm going to the Grand Teton next year. They're like, oh, all right, that makes sense. I had a, I coach hockey here in the community, and I had one of the other coaches the other day come up to me and he's like, hey, I'm going to go do the Grand Teton next year. And I was like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go running with you if you want to get ready to go because 
you know, it's important to run before you try and climb the Grand Teton. He's like, I think I got it. And so we'll see. I, I think I get a lot of this because people ask what I do for a job. And I'm like, oh, I manage the climbing gym. And they think I'm hanging off the side of a mountain. And I have to explain to them that I climb these short little boulders without ropes. They never get it. Yeah, see, so you're up against it. Like, I've always said that if you're going to explain a climbing discipline to a non-climber, like, bouldering is the worst thing to try to explain. Because you're just like, well, it's small climbing, and you don't use a rope, but, like, it's the hardest. It, I mean, really, move for move, it, you know what I mean? You, you feeling me? Like, it's impossible to explain. Completely. Like, eventually, you're just like, oh, yeah, I do these moves on these little boulders, and that's what I do in all my spare time. Even at the lake, everyone asks what the pads are, and you try to explain it, and they're like, oh, you fall on them when you're hiking up. <laughs> the pad people. Yeah. The pad people. They're yeah. like, oh, your other mattresses are up ahead of you. Also known as pad sniffers. <laughs> so one last question. We're, we're about to run out of time here. It's been awesome, but what do you think in terms of two things? The future of Devil's Lake in terms of climbing, whether or not there, I don't know if there's a worry about pushing grades, about new routes, about anything like that, but also in terms of community outreach and conservation here in, in Devil's Lake. I have no idea if you guys have any sort of problems or pushback from either the community or land managers about climbing here in Devil's Lake or, or in the surrounding area. So what's it look like in terms of what we need to do as a community to continue this great sport we have here, to continue openness for climbing? Yeah, well, your, your first question is, where does Devil's Lake climbing go in the future? And, um, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of opportunities for climbers at Devil's Lake to really push the standards, certainly in the boulders. I mean, there's so much bouldering development every year, every day, um, and there's still a lot to do there. There are a lot of uh, sort of historic top rope routes that are getting led. In fact, one that was first top roped in 1977 just got led last year for the first time. Uh, uh, Phlogiston, it was uh, 13A that was top roped by Pete Cle Cleveland in 1977. So 13A in 77. Um, just got led this year by Peter Bonamici. Actually, last year by Peter Bonamici. So... There are a lot of opportunities for people who are bold. Uh, regarding outreach to the community, I think the more we climb and the more we purport ourselves well, like Chris said, I, I think that just reflects really well on us. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Jay on like the, the potential here. If you want to run it out and be scared, there's some, some good rope to be done yet, but it's kind of it's potentially hurtful at this point. Uh, the bouldering, I think, is really where the standards are going to continue to be pushed. You know, like Katie and the, and the bouldering crew in general are really going to keep moving it along. As far as outreach in the community goes, you know, we all frequent the busiest and biggest state park in the state of Wisconsin. And so we're still, even though, you know, there's 300 of us here tonight, we're still a very small user group. And so it's good to bring ourselves out to events like this and participate in the community and show the park that we're doing good things and we're willing to work on service projects and we're good stewards of the land and better stewards than the average user because that kind of activity shows that we are a group that the 
park wants to bring in. And if the park wants us there, we'll be there. If all of a sudden the park sees us as a menace, we won't be there very long. And so I think we need to keep doing things like this, getting together as a community, doing things like trail building and graffiti removal and just be general caretakers of the place. Um, as far as bouldering development, we're still seeing amazing hard lines going up. Um, there is a beautiful uh, V11 that went up last year. Like the fact that that's still out there and people are still finding these amazing lines is really neat to me. There's a really nice guidebook coming out, which I think will make bouldering explode. Um, being able to find things here is kind of an issue. So it'll make it easier for people. So I think as we see bouldering growing, people need to be a little bit more aware of their impact. Don't throw your crap on the trail, like the basics like that. And treating it like somewhere you want to come for the next 10 or 20 years. The WCA is doing a ton as well. Um, they're putting on a comp this weekend, and they do a lot with access and just letting people know what's going on. They rent out pads, um, and they're happy to kind of talk to people about bouldering here, which is nice. This is a little bit of a, of a, a tag on the end, but do you guys have the scourge of people leaving pads out in the, out in the wilderness here? We don't have a lot of pad stashing here. Um, I don't think I've heard of it happening at all. Um, I'm looking at you, Angie Payne. <laughs> Our approaches are pretty short. Like, if you're not willing to hike a pad 15 minutes up the talus, you probably shouldn't be bouldering out there. <laughs> That's true. That doesn't mean that people aren't willing to hike a pad for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I think most of our people wouldn't even think about it just because the approaches are pretty short. All right. So, yeah, don't leave stash your pads out in the woods is what we're getting at. That's super Low pro here in, uh, in Devil's Lake. So, all right. I want to thank my guests for coming up here. We have just reached our, our time. These guys all uh, were just contacted by me via email. Um, uh, it turns out that Jay and I know each other through Mountain Project. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, but we, they just agreed to do this because they care about the uh, Devil's Lake climbing community. They wanted to give you guys uh, a little bit of heads up on what's going on here. And uh, they were doing me a favor. So thank you guys very, very much. The EnormaCast can be found at EnormaCast.com. Uh, there's 112 or 13 or 14, I forget, episodes up if you haven't heard it. Every climber under the sun so far, um, all sorts of different people on that. Pro climbers, not so pro climbers. So check it out. I appreciate you listening, and it's also free. So check it out. Thanks for having me. I would attempt to play my theme outro on here, but we already know that doesn't work. So thanks a lot. Let's drink a beer, and uh, let's look forward to Angie Payne, who's coming up next. Iger North Base. Oh shit, I'm going with you. You going to Iger? I'm the ground man for that climb. Isn't that enough to singe your ass? I'm going to nursemaid you again after all of these years. You nursemaid me. I not only could outclimb you on your best day, I can outdrink you right now. Well, you just enjoy that one, because you're off of the sauce until you're in shape for the climb.
Meanwhile, I'll have another. 